Open your Bibles, 2 Chronicles, chapter number 7. We're preaching a series on revival, and I hope that you get in on it. I can tell you this, you don't have to. It can go on just like we are. But I, I think when you read this text that you'd like to have a little bit of what went on in days past. I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes I feel like Chumper Gables in a junkyard. Because it just seems like I can't do anything to get you started. And I just believe sooner or later, if revival ever comes, you can throw your jump, jumper cables away. Because old junk stuff will start running again. Amen? And so I, I hope that... Um, You'll understand this end times we're coming to, your little retreats and Bible studies and, and all, if you just hit and miss at whatever you do at church and, and spiritual life is kind of third or fourth somewhere down in your life. I'm telling you, there's some storms coming that that won't be enough to handle them. That just won't do it. You're going to have to be sold out to Jesus. And so today... Second Chronicles chapter 7, I'm going to begin at verse 1, and next week I will preach a different message. Today I want to talk to you about the glory of revival. The glory of revival. Now, I want you to notice in verse number 1. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Think about that, folks. They're scared to go in. That's the glory of God. You remember when the Bible says when God killed Ananias and Sapphira? You remember that? Shane and I was talking about that this week. When he killed them, there was people afraid to go in, but yet their congregation multiplied. The, the sinners that didn't want God, they're scared to come in. And those who wanted God ran in. The glory here, and of course we had a little different temple here, don't we? That we're operating in, so that's why that's different. But notice, when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down, and the glory of the Lord upon the house, we've had that in every verse, haven't we? And the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement. Nearly 13 acres of pavement up there. And worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Now, can you imagine the total top of Mount Zion? being totally filled with people way up in the thousands, maybe a million. In 12 acres, you can put a whole lot of people. And so here, the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord, and this wasn't a, an hour service, and they went home. Y'all, again, again, amen. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. And the priest 
waited on their office. And by the way, Jesus is the high priest, and this law, that which is a shadow of things to come, when Jesus comes, we no longer have to go through somebody, we go to somebody. Now look what he said. The Levites also with instruments of music of the Lord, which David the king had made to praise the Lord. Evidently, David was a, a skillful person to be able to make especially musical instruments and maybe even instruments of war. Now, he, I'm certainly he had people to do what he told them to do, but in the beginning, it was just David making those things when he went to play for King Saul and, and, and different times when he was out alone. And notice what he said. David the king had to make the praise of the Lord because his mercy endureth forever. And when David praised by their ministry and the priests sounded the trumpets before them, all Israel stood. So let's talk about the glory of revival. Father, I pray today you'll take our weakness and turn it into strength. I pray you'll take anything here in this place today that is vanity and help us to render it useless no, it's not vanity we need, but it is holiness we need. And God, would you help me to preach today in power? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I, Second Chronicles 7.14, of course, tells us if we do certain things, then the Lord will do the unimaginable things. But we're not talking about 2 Chronicles 7, 14. We haven't gotten there yet. You see, there's some preparation for revival. You see, we, we've got to get in a position to where the glory of God, that we're ready to receive it, willing to receive it, and ready for him to consume our lives with it, or we'll never have revival. You can do everything or most everything, Second Samuel seven fourteen says, still not have it, but God wants us to have revival. And so he had 13 verses before it. There's a reason why. Charles Finney said this, revival is a new beginning of obedience to God. I think I told you that last week, but I don't want you to forget it. I want you to write in the Bible. Revival is the new beginning of obedience to God. That's what it is. And when I talk about revival, now just don't, don't get offended by this, just the way it is. When someone says they're going to have revival, when somebody says we need revival, when you see a poster that says we're going to have revival, that presupposes that the church is backslid. By the very fact we need revival means we're backslidden. We're going, you don't see any signs saying, come to our church, we're all backslid this week. We've got a backslid preacher this week, him preach. No, we don't do that. But what we do say, even though we don't understand it, is because most folks don't have a clue what revival means, is we use that word loosely, but what it really means, it presupposes we're all backslidden. Just because there is a revival advertisement 
all over our country, that does not mean that that is the way to advertise revival. If we ever have revival, it'll advertise itself. Everyone will know it. The reward of the glory of God is that when revival falls, that everybody knows it and everybody sees it. It's a visible thing to God. Acts chapter 2 verse 6 says, Now when this was missed abroad, uh, uh, noised abroad, the multitude came together. In other words, as soon as they heard what had happened, they all came together. They all got together. They wanted to get in on this thing where the glory was. And so uh, we're going to look at a real revival and ask God to let us. If it was under, it was under Solomon, but to let us have one at Hillcrest. How's that? I, I, you say, well, you know, we just don't see people saved like we used to. But well, I tell you, we don't witness like we used to either. And I'll tell you something else. We see people saved, they don't live like they used to. Because now we think going to heaven is just tipping the balance is enough not to go to hell. About all we think it is. The Christian life is so much more than that. And if you really have it, you'll want much more than that. You'll want all God has for you. Somebody asked me, said, well, Brother Glenn, why don't I was not pastoring in Florida, and, and, and this lady come in, and she said, I just need to tell you something. Lord led me over here to tell you this. I said, he did. In fact, while I'd been there, he led her over there to tell me several things. And Glenn led her to the door. But she said, I don't know why in the world you don't speak in tongues. I said, I'll I took my Bible. I laid it out on the kitchen table. I said, you show me one verse in there that says I should speak in tongues. I want everything God wants me to have, and that's what he wants me to do. I'm going to do it. If God wants me to do it, I want to have everything he's got. She couldn't give it to me. I said, bye. Go. That's what's wrong with this, that, not this church, but that church. As dead as it could be. And we packed it out just a little while getting folks saved and it scared them half to death. And I had to put an usher at one end of one aisle because I had a whole family, an old drunkard, his name was Johnny. He'd get drunk right around my house at night and cussing. And finally one night he'd come up and he was in a truck drunk and his old, old truck, he could have thrown a cat all the way through it. And, and it, was, it was smoking all over. And he was riding around my house, riding around my house. And I went out the front door, caught with my shotgun, just like he had one, I got one. We'll just have a duel. But he pulled up my front door and tears began to come out of his eyes. He said, you're the only one that's ever preached that this church has come to our house. They had about eight, nine kids. They barely made enough to get by, and he drank up what they had left. He said, preach, I won't come to church tomorrow, but I don't have a tie. I said, I don't care. You don't have to wear a tie. No, I've got to wear a tie. I said, you don't have to wear a tie. You just come. It's the best you can. It doesn't matter what you wear. You come. He said, I'm, so I said, here. I went back in there, and I got a tie. Here, wear a tie tomorrow. And so he came. 
And I told one of my deacons, I said, you make sure that back row. We had a wide church, but it wasn't very deep. It wasn't but about 10 rows deep. And, and I said, I, I want you to make sure that that pew is left to where that, uh, that nobody can get in until that family comes today. I've got faith enough to believe they're all going to be here. And I come out of Sunday school and I looked up and there that deacon was, had him a steel chair, but sitting right beside of that pew, daring somebody to come in there and say it. And in just a few minutes, here they come. Here they come, just like a little marching army. And I did what I said I'd do. I gave him his time. I, I, I got him the rope. But the people didn't want him there. Because he wasn't their kind of people. And I had the privilege for him to bow in his home and give his heart to Christ. But he couldn't give his heart to the church. That's sad, isn't it? Folks, that means we need revival. That's not the only place like that. They may not say it. These people just say it out. And later I left, I knew why some of them were saying it out about everything else because they had a whole lot of junk in their closets that came out. And so I'm telling you, folks, we need revival. And I'm asking you to help me today. Seek it with all your hearts. So I'll preach it as quick as I can. This started when the first temple, well, this is the very first temple. Everything else had been in tent. The tabernacle, you know, was in tents. And, and even though it was done very precisely and very beautifully, but we had not had this temple. David couldn't build it because his hands was hands of blood. He'd been a warrior. He was a mighty warrior. And, and God says, I don't want the people of the earth to say that the king of the holy land is a mighty warrior with blood all over his hands, thousands of people he's killed. And he said, he, he, he said to Solomon, he said, I can't build the temple but I'll provide everything I'll have it all in place I have all the timber here I, I'll have, I have all your servants here I'll have everything you need to build that temple here we'll have the rock quarried out it'll be shaped the way it ought to be shaped everything will be in place if you build the temple well he did as time went on a little bit he decided to build the temple and 2 Chronicles 7, 14 was written not when they needed revival, but because they was in one. We take that verse to, to say, well, they was in a real mess. No, for one time in their life, they was doing pretty good here. And God was bringing revival to them. People were getting right with God. It started, just think, the day they started laying those great big huge boulders and those huge blocks uh, as they built that temple, can you imagine the excitement started brewing and finally it made its way up to Galilee and it made its way down to Bathsheba and people began to hear what God was doing. They're building the temple. They're building a temple. They're building a temple. And you can must have seen the folks flock to see that temple builds we don't have to worship in an old tent we got something folks can see and so here I want to ask you three things that you need to ask yourself to see if you need revival I got these three things from D.L. Lowry I wrote them down 
probably 30 years ago. I think Dr. Lowry's with Jesus now, I believe. But he, I don't remember anything else he said in his sermon, but this is what he said, and I wrote it down, never forgot it. When you need revival, you need to ask yourself, is your level of joy like it used to be? So why would you say that? Because in Psalm 51, David was miserable and asked God to restore that joy. Number two, you need revival. Is your level of love and devotion down or up from where you were with Jesus? You can be faithful to the church and lose your first love. When you lose your first love, you'll quit being faithful to the church. Are you willing, are you willing to dig down and look at your heart? It's nasty. Sickening down there. Well, you say, I've been washed in the blood. That's good. That means you're going to heaven. Your soul's saved. Your eternity's sure. But what about the one who died for you on the cross and you got the very, you got the audacity to take his salvation and what he had to go through and how he suffered and live like the devil right now. What in the world? How could we sleep like that? You say, well, I mess up every day. Well, didn't get it right every night. I pretty much mess up several times a day, four or five times a day, 10 or 15 times a day. And I won't, but I try by God's grace when I have been convicted of something, I try to confess it. And I probably miss some, and sometimes they start to stack up a little bit. And that's when you need to get somewhere in a closet and have a personal revival. Number three, here's the third thing. Is your level of joy like it should be? Is your level of love and devotion for Jesus up or down? Okay? Number three, is it easier to give in to the flesh now than it used to be? You see, as you grow as a Christian, you learn to overcome that giving in to the flesh. We we still do it. Yes, we still do it, but we... We, we start growing, and we start growing, and God helps us to grow in enough power to where we every now and then we get a victory, and that, ex- that excites us when we beat the devil one more time. And then later on we get another victory, and that excites us because we beat the devil one more time. And as we grow and grow and grow, is it easier to give into the flesh now than it used to be? Do you go places you used to not, we wouldn't go when you got saved? Do you dress in ways you wouldn't dress if, if the way you dressed when you got saved? The words come out of your mouth now that wouldn't have come out five minutes after you got saved? There's three questions you can ask yourself. So I think my association with you and been the pastor here for a long time now, I think we need a revival. I, I really never thought I'd see people live like they live today. 
I, it doesn't shock me if the world did it. I expected that. It's in the book. But I never really expected God's people to join them. So if you're on the devil's bus and you've been saved, all you've done is give him a stronghold in your life and you won't ever be worth 15 cents for Jesus Christ until you break that stronghold, come out and have revival. Well, you say, what do you do? What's the first thing you have to do to have revival? Now, I want you to notice everything in this temple pointed to who? Jesus, the Messiah. There was nothing done in this temple that what did not point to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the anointed one, right? They were looking for him. Everyone wanted to be the woman that birthed him. Every, dad, every man wanted to be the dad who raised him. I mean, it was, a, it was a, something they were expecting and excited about him coming. And notice what happened. Everything in the temple pointed to him. Every sacrifice that was offered pointed to him. Every drop of blood that was shed pointed to him. It didn't stop. Precious blood of Jesus is payment for sin. And all they was doing, God was honoring. You know why? You know why they had to come every year and, and, and give their little temple tax and, uh, I mean, give their little shekel to up at the temple because they had to pay that every year. God had commanded them back in the Old Testament to do it. You know why God did that? So if you were saved, that, that gave you guarantee that one of these days he's going to pay it off for you. You wouldn't have to pay no more tax. And you wouldn't have to have any kind of guessing game. He'd pay it all off for you. I, I like that, but y'all don't. All right. Notice the first thing it takes to have this kind of revival, number one, is preaching. Y'all knew I'd say it. Solomon in chapter 6, verse number 1, you can tell how this thing all started. He starts to do something, and the Bible said, Then said Solomon. The Lord has said that he would dwell in the thick darkness, but I have built a house and habitation for thee and a place for thy dwelling forever. So there had to be some type of preaching so that these folks could be instructed of how they were to act and how they were to, how, how they, how they were to perform their services around the temple. So there has to be preaching. Solomon addressed this standing. By the way, they're standing. They're not sitting, they're standing. All the people stood. Y'all want to do that for the rest of this service? Some of you said, he's crazy enough to do it. You know, he's just nuts enough to ask him to do it. No, but I'll tell you, I'd like for it to be to where there wasn't enough seats in this building where people had to stand. So he addressed this standing congregation, and you can't have spirit-empowered revival unless you have spirit-empowered preaching. When we lose our pulpit emphasis, you hear me now, and you go tell uh, your little blue-haired friends, got, their, got a hog ring in their nose, you go tell them that when you lose Holy Spirit pulpit emphasis, 
you give up God's means for instruction to revival. He said, well, our Sunday school goods up. Good. That's great. Uh, I had training classes. They're really good. That's great. That's great. Our music, man, it's really good. It's getting better. We thank God for for sending us Brother Steve to try to to help us. And and we're grateful. But, 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 oh, that's good. We need good music. We need good Sunday school classes. We need good training classes. And our our preschool is is the best that there is when you come to church. You won't go to any other church and and get what they get in Sunday school and what they get around the uh, the weekday clock here at Hillcrest. They learn to sing. And who they sing about? Jesus Christ. We can have all of that and still not have revival. Did you know you were saved because somebody preached to you? Oh, you say, not me. Somebody led me to Christ in my home. Well, you just now acknowledge somebody preached to you. Yeah, preaching means to proclaim, right? In fact, it really means to herald to blow the trumpet loud. I've always took that serious. Loud. And so, he preaching not only saved you, but you're to grow by the preaching. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 makes that clear. So, but some think they're so spiritual, they don't need to hear much of it, and so they don't get much of it. I get people think I don't know what goes on. You know, people come to Sunday school and then they look and make sure nobody's looking. They ease out the door, go get in their car and drive out the driveway and they feel real good about themselves. Y'all to feel, y'all stinks what y'all to feel. Y'all feel like you just wallowed in a pig trough. You say, well, I don't like my preacher. If you don't like your preacher, you better vote to get you another one. I'm willing to step down. Have got to bring revival. It's going to be hard for you to find somebody to preach hard, though. But I'll be your interim for the next six years. But we've got to have a new love for hearing the Bible. A new love for loving the truth. A new love for preaching. Listen to what Psalm, is, Psalm 85, 11. Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Folks, listen. Even the Methodists used to preach and have revival. Even the Presbyterians used to preach and have revival. Even the Lutherans used to preach and have revival. And it may surprise you even the Baptists preached and had revival. But we've stopped preaching. If you hear somebody say hell in some churches today, you know they're cursing. That's right. I'm just telling you the truth. And so the first thing we need is, is preaching. Second thing we need is praying. And we'll talk to you a little bit more about this next week. I just want to write that down. Second Chronicles 6, verses 12, all the way to chapter 7. We, we need this praying going on. Humble praying, verses 12 and 13 of chapter 6 says, 
The position of that praying should be before the altar, the Bible says. And the people in, in that place were to stand in the outer court and do their praying. But this was a lengthy prayer to God as he is on a pedestal and he is praying and he is praying in this humble prayer. Listen to what Psalm 51, 17, David wanted this and now he wants it. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit and a contrite art, O God, and thou wilt not despise. You see, that's when, when we talk about revival, we're not talking about having something that we, that we got advertised all over everywhere and that we got little tracks made up for it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about praying to God and we're so broken and so crushed and so contrite about who we are that God must bless us. Because we've repented of that when the glory comes down. He wants my people. That means the deacons. means the choir. means the Sunday school teachers. That means the pastors, staff, whatever you want to call them. The committees, everybody, if you're going to serve God, you ought to have humble prayer. Look what he prayed, prayed for. And I'm, I'm hurrying now. And I'll put, you, put your speed boats on. Let's go. All right? He, he prayed for forgiveness. First of all, in verse 22, he prayed for forgiveness against his neighbor. Secondly, verse 24 and 25, he prayed against defeat. That they would always be victorious, verse 24 and 25. Thirdly, he prayed for no lack of blessing. He said, listen, I want to be, I don't want this to happen to where you dry up and you don't have any any blessing and, and to where your enemies defeat you and to where you do not forgive your neighbor. And he goes on, in judgment in verses 28 through 29. And then perched on an individual forgiveness in verse number 30. And then willing to pray for the forgiveness for the lost in verse number 32. For all, all the Bible says, who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever, that means everybody. All. So we just ask for revival if we want it in his prayer, number one was for forgiveness. You know, somebody told me not uh, just just the other day said that that you preached on forgiveness way too long. That's probably because you didn't forgive. Man, I preached on it long enough. See, God's anger has stopped revival. Oh, God wouldn't do that. Oh, yes, He would. It's his church, it's his people, it's his salvation, it's his blood, it's his way, it's his truth, it's his life. Why in the world we ignore all of that? Would Jesus not stop the glory? I went out of here sometimes and I felt like I was floating on a glory cloud. And then I went out here sometimes and my knee was, my, my chin was dragging the ground. I kicked it every time my cowboy boot went up. So we've got to have preaching, we've got to have praying. Number three, we've got to have the presence of God. Verse, chapter 7, verse 1 and 3. Look, the fire comes. Now listen why the fire comes. Fire speaks of power and pleasure of God. When Elijah prayed, what did he pray for? 
fire. For the fire to come. You see, those prophets of Baal, all of old Jezebel's oh, 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 prophets, they couldn't call fire down out of heaven. They couldn't do that. Oh, they could fake slaying a few people in the spirit, and then they, 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 it was all staged. And so they tried even that to cut themselves and do all kinds of things. And Elijah just laughed at them. He said, I'm fixing to show you boys what revival is. And sure enough, glory came down, his radiant splendor that puts us on our face. You can find in the text I read today where they all put their faces to the pavement, not to the grass, nice grassy little slope where there's a a, a softness, but to the pavement where the nasty foot tracks of people had been, they put their faces to the pavement. And while I'm saying that, just while I'm on that subject, y'all brought it up, so I'm going to finish it. That commercial, I think it's for some knee pads or something like that. I don't know what it is. Huh? Knee, braces. knee braces. That shows an imam which is a Muslim preacher and what we would, if you want to understand it, an imam and a Catholic priest. And they're standing side by side. Both of them are rubbing their ankles or doing something. I can't remember how the whole thing goes. But they both get in there. They call in on this Amazon or somebody, have it overnight delivered. And he gets his, he gets his box in the mail just about the same time the other guy gets his box in the mail. And they both had bought each other prayer braces. And it ends with the imam and the Roman Catholic on their knees praying just alike to different gods that's sick that had never happened in this country never happened fourthly there's a presentation to God some don't really want revival because of its commitment you can't you can't fake forgiveness and you can't fake praise I've seen folks do it I've even seen some of us do it. We faked praise. We didn't want to praise. We didn't feel like praising. We didn't even want to praise, but we did it. We hollered. We shouted. We clapped. But we faked it. And even his presence, we will never know without his, our commitment to him. And when we do, this is what happened in verse number four of chapter seven. There will be stewardship. Giving is a result of revival. See it? Giving is a result of the revival. It always is. It always is. It's a, it's a gift of the right. Go to Acts chapter 4, verse 21, 35, and you'll find that God loveth a cheerful giver. And, when, and you remember what happened with Barnabas when he sold... When he was a priest in the wrong land, number one, and, and, and a priest wasn't supposed to even have any land, own any land, but he went out and bought some backsidden away from God, but he gets under so conviction, he gets born again and chained, and he takes everything he's got and lays the deeds at the apostles' feet. Revival will cause giving. Secondly, it'll cause service. Look at verse 6. 
It'll cost service. Revival stirs up gifts and, and stirs up workers and people starts to be useful and, and, and they, they visit and, and they, they, they talk to people about Christ everywhere they go. And they take up their cross daily and follow him. I mean, listen, folks, we, we just get busy. You say, well, I just want a position in the church. Why? That won't bring revival. No, if that's the only reason you're here, we ain't gonna, I might as well just sit over here and let Steve keep singing. Because we're not going to have a revival if all you want is some position in the church. And by the way, we don't do it that way around here. We mess up sometimes. We don't always, we don't always hit God every time. But we try our best to make sure we don't strike out on the people who teach your kids and the adults and the youth. We try to do our best. And you won't have to do that. You'll know what to do. If you see a piece of paper on the floor, pick it up. Well, we hire a cleaning crew. Well, so what? Whoop-de-doo. Can you not pick up a, a chewing gum wrapper that maybe you throw there? Hey, we, you don't have to have a PhD to know how to empty a waste basket or hold a door open for some lady uh, or, or thank the guests as they leave and say, I don't know you, but thank you for coming. We love you. I want you to come back. Folks, it don't take a PhD to do those things. You just start serving. And then you get separated, verse 7, and I'm through. Separation really means holiness. People start to live right. I told you last week about Jonathan Edwards, and, and he said this. And I, I may have read it, but I won't read it again. The town seemed to be full of the presence of God. The noise among the dry bones waxed louder and louder, and the revival struck the hearts first of the young people. But they tell me young people won't come hear this kind of preaching no more. They won't come here this kind of singing no more. Started with the young. Listen, you have revival. It don't matter where you young people do. They'll love it wherever they are. And then the elders all over town, he said, and soon the taverns was empty. And you could walk up and down the streets. This is what he said. You could walk up and down the streets and and while the windows would be open, you could hear the mamas singing at the windows. You could hear them singing the hymns at the windows. And they wasn't having to hunt their old man at night because they was going to revival every night. Folks, I'll tell you, you'll want to get separated from that crowd you're running with. It's not godly when you get right with God. You say, well, I do that just to witness. I'm going to tell you, having Bud Weiser with somebody to try to win them to Christ is like throwing up in their plate and saying, wasn't that good? That's ridiculous. If somebody sat down, listen, I was lost, but I had enough sense to know that what I did, if I did any of those three things or four things that I did, and I even talked to anybody about God, they didn't want to hear it. You know why I know that? Because I didn't want to hear it. 
you told me, hey, I'm telling you, God says that we shouldn't drink. I'd say, well, I don't believe that. I'd use them same old arguments. Jesus turned the water into wine. And, and, you know, I'd go on and on, and then I'd tell you, leave me alone. Hey, you did it too. You did it too. But you noticed, I noticed something happened. When I got saved, my friends started falling by the wayside. I wouldn't play ball on Sunday no more. I wouldn't drink no more. I wouldn't go where they went no more. I wouldn't do some of the things we did before. We wouldn't do all that stuff. And I just noticed that there was a real difference in who we hung around with. And so if you read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 13 and 15, he said he would heal our land. And Hebrews 12 says he would also heal us. He'll lift our heads. He'll lift our heads. So come out from among them, be you separate, says the Lord. Here's the last thing, and I'm through. There'll be a persistence of joy, and I'm going to talk a great deal about that next week. Look in verse number 10. When they went home, they was all shouting the glory down. Singing, praising, worshiping God. Look, they were glad and merry in heart for the goodness that the Lord God had showed to David and Solomon and to Israel as people. They, don't, they didn't care how long the line was to get there. They was just thrilled that it had gotten there. They was now going to have what they had always been dreaming of, the temple, the temple. And for 15 days, listen to this, for 15 days, they wallowed and lavished in his presence. If you haven't got time for revival, you will never have it. To be honest, we probably just ought to have a section that says, I'm just come for the preaching and the singing and I, I don't really want revival. We probably ought to have a section that says, I'm not into revival and ask God, said, God, now you promised to bless this crowd that is. I wonder how it all fall out. I wonder how it all stack up. Probably different than we think. So you know those signs I gave you at the beginning. Do you need revival? Hmm? Can God give revival? Yes, if. But it's conditional. If my people, nothing will happen till we pray. We're going to have to rebuild the altar. We're going to lay up the sacrifice. You must present that prized possession that you have and lay it as a sacrifice. And you must create a situation that only divine intervention can bring. Fire coming down. He may not do it for us. He may do something else. He may save your husband, save your wife, save that, that kid who's messed his life up. But just remember this, and I'm through. The Holy Spirit is for revival. The evil spirit is against revival, but man's spirit determines revival.